This is a communion service, and my um, aim is to get us all ready to enjoy uh, the meal together and receive the life and grace of the living God. Um, and we're at John chapter 15 in our series in John. And if you ever have um, a curry and it's spicier than you realized, you might get caught off guard and you go, oh, that was a spicy curry. That made me quite uncomfortable. Well, John chapter 15 is what I would call a spicy curry because it catches you off guard and there's some things in it that you wouldn't think, like if you haven't got a real biblical view of Jesus, you'd be like, what does he mean by that? That's a spicy curry. And there's something in John 15 to make us all uncomfortable. But it's also glorious. It's a great way, chance for us to worship. And there's massive themes in this little chunk that I'm going to try and break down in this short time that we've got together. So here we go. I don't know if you know the Christian story, but it's actually the world story, because there's only one story, and it's all oscillating around Jesus Christ. But the story, and it involves everyone, by the way, and the story is essentially about a tree. It's an ancient tree. And I'm going to tell you about this tree. I heard a sermon about this tree from Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 the other day, and the speaker rightly summed up the world story about a tree like this. So I'll repeat it the way he said it. And pay attention because you're in it. God plants a tree. The tree has roots. One root is called Abraham. Another root is called Isaac. That root over there might be called Jacob. And the tree has branches. What's an action for a branch? That. And when all the world is gone, and all the cosmos has been wrapped up and remade, only this tree will remain. And it will be standing and flourishing in the new heavens and the new earth for eternity evermore. And some of the branches have names. Some of them have Jewish names. But not all of them. Some of the branches have got names like Ruth and Rahab. And then if you look around the tree, some of the branches have been cut off, and they're not part of the tree anymore. And they've got names as well, like Judas and Demas. And the name of the tree is Israel. And I wrote this sermon before they were on front page news over this weekend. So I'm not doing it because they're in the news. And the heart of the tree is Jesus. And if you have faith in Jesus alone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile from Cardiff, you remain in the tree, and you will live and flourish forever because you're part of the Jesus tree called Israel, and you'll have eternal life, and so on, and so on, until all of Israel will be saved. And if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you're lopped off the tree. You don't have eternal life, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So all Israel will be saved. And there are people in this room who are as much a member of the family of God as Abraham himself, if you remain in Jesus. And there are some strange people at the moment, and they teach something called replacement theology. And the idea is this that God 
has a new group of people that he calls his special possession that aren't Israel. But that's not in the Bible. In fact, it's often driven by racism and politics and money. No, the story of world history is there's one tree. And what happens is people get grafted in to that tree. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you are also called in the Bible the true Israel. You've joined the tree called Israel. Because the story of the tree is this. Faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to know God this morning around this communion table and be alive spiritually and flourishing like a branch on a tree, like some fruit, you join yourself with Israel and you remain in Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the heart of the tree and He causes humans to come alive like fruit on a tree. And if you've ever met a real Christian, they won't go, oh, I'm really miserable and I hate everyone and everything. They'll say, it's as if I was dead before I met Jesus, but now I'm alive. They'll say, I was blind, but now I see. Because that's what Jesus does to people in this great story of the Jesus tree. I was witnessing to a friend of mine, one of the football dads recently, as we ate a curry, a spicy curry, and I said, and he said, I knew you in school. What on earth has happened to you? And I said, I met God. And he said, you're now the second person I know who was a nutter in school <laughs> that now claim they've met God and their lives have changed. Because people who join the tree it's not just knowledge. It's life. It just changes. You become fruitful where you weren't before. And here we are in John chapter 15. Jesus is teaching the same old message of Abraham and Moses. And it's an emotional chapter because they're behind closed doors. And he's telling his friends that he's about to die. And how they can remain in the tree and be fruitful after he dies. And it's sad because he is about to die a brutal death. Because new life for anyone in this tree means death for the Son of God. And any new life in this room is because of the death of your death in the death of Jesus. The man the tree must enter the ground and die so that it can flourish and cause humans to be fruitful and alive with God in order for people to never taste death. Someone has to demolish it for you and rise from it like a great tree that lasts forever. And he shares that with us. And he shows us how to remain fruitful as humans. And lo and behold, he uses a metaphor, a vine, the tree, 
I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. And then he tells about his disciples that they're going to flourish too if they're connected to the vine in verse 5 and verse 7. A few weeks ago, I planted a grapevine in my garden. And it was like a little funeral service. I was almost going to sing Abide With Me. And you dig the hole and you place it in the ground. And it seems really counterproductive to just life. Why am I burying something? Unless the mechanisms behind this whole world is a God who deals in life from death. So in it goes. Incidentally, if there are any grape growers, if we could talk to me after because I think I've messed it up. But the internet says the best thing to do when you dig your hole is to put a dead sheep in the ground and then put the roots on top of the dead sheep. So I said to Rita, have we got a dead sheep? And she said, no. So we put chicken fertilizer in instead. But it goes in the ground, a burial, and fruit will come. And Jesus is saying, well, the whole Bible says, this vine planted in the ground speaks of the humility of the one that has come from heaven in the form of a man and is planted in the earth. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, we worship Jesus as Christians and nobody else. Because nobody is quite like him. He's a bit like us, but he's also not like us. Because he's like the working, fruitful version of us that truly pleases his Father. Because if we were in heaven, we would never leave and come down to planet Earth and die for people that don't like us. Would we? We wouldn't go out in the cold and go and die for someone that thinks nothing of us. But Jesus does. And Jesus did. And from Owen's vine in the garden will come Owen's grapes. And the grapes are totally dependent on the vine for growth and for life. And the story of the Jesus tree all through the Bible and in John chapter 15 is this. A human being cannot do a single productive Christian thing on earth or in heaven, in this world or the next, unless we're connected to the vine. Because he's the one who gives the Spirit life and power. Being Jesus-centered isn't some inane catchphrase that we say around here. It's the key to life, according to John chapter 15. Some of us say, glory to Jesus! Why do we say that? It's not an inane catchphrase. It's because we realize we've been rescued from eternal death. And not only that, he's so patient and loving towards us. He shared us his spirit with us. And now we can actually be beneficial on planet earth to other people. So when we are, we just go, glory to Jesus. I'm just the fruit. But he's the vine. Now some of you have got a question. Because you've read John chapter 15. And I'm going to try and answer it. And it's linked to who can have communion this morning. Should it be you? Or shouldn't it be you? Should it be me? Or shouldn't it be, be me? And here's verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. That's a spicy curry. But that's Jesus who says it. Can we have communion or are we cut off? Am I in or am I out? The most important question a human can ask themselves this morning is, am I in or am I out? And John chapter 15 seems to be saying this. Here he's talking about his disciples and they will bear fruit. But there are other people around at that time who were fakers, who, built, who bore no fruit. Probably Judas. There's loads of them in the Old Testament church. There's loads of them in the New Testament church. And they were never truly disciples to begin with. They were privileged. They went to Park End Church or whatever the equivalent was back then. They appeared to be in the vine. But they didn't bear any fruit. Now, I don't think this is talking about Christians, by the way, who are distant from God and are having a bad time at the moment, who are caught up in sin. They're having a bad patch. Because I think the Bible teaches this. A Christian cannot ever be cast out of the saving arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you need to hear that this morning. And some of you need to run on home because you've been distant for too long. And this will be a corner that you turn today. And it will be the best communion service you ever had. John chapter 10 verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will pluck them out of my hand. Isn't that wonderful? In John chapter 6, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. They won't be lost. In John chapter 17, he's, he says, Father, all that you have given me I have kept, and none of them is lost except for Judas. So I think John chapter 15 is not talking about a Christian who stops bearing fruit for a little season. I don't think such a person can lose their salvation and we should all be rejoicing because of that. I think Jesus is saying a Judas type of believer who is superficially attached to the vine but never really has received nourishment from the Lord Jesus Christ ends up cut off. You find the same thing in Psalm 80 and Hosea chapter 10 where Israel is now described as a vine and it gets chopped off and cut back. Why? Because in Psalm 80 it says they've become full of idol worship and immorality. So they're severed off. Burned up, Psalm 80. Cut down. At your rebuke we perish, the psalmist says. In Hosea 10, Israel is a spreading vine that did bring forth fruit. But now their hearts are deceitful and the Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Idol worship! And here's the warning, and this is a spicy curry for some of us. There are some people who have probably sat in these pews and now they've walked away. And it's a sad reality that they may never, ever walk back. Is the warning today. Don't walk away. If you are far, come back. It might be the case that they were never attached to the vine. There's this funny phrase that some people say, God never gives up on people. Seems to me he does. Cuts, cuts them off. Romans chapter 1 says there are entire nations that he eventually says 
I give you up to what you want. Sin, immorality, and death. And that lovely voice of the Lord for some people one day just falls silent and they never hear it again. And in my experience, it tends to look like this. The things that used to bother them in their souls don't bother them anymore. They used to be convicted over how they treated the Lord and their loved ones. But now it seems reasonable to mistreat the Lord and loved ones and they justify it and where they used to be soft and pricked in their conscience they become hard and the Lord's people and church and the word of the Lord seems ever more ridiculous to them because they found new ways to flourish as human beings and they quietly walk away is a danger and the Lord's written it down for you because he loves us that we come home and here's the message for us that he wants to hear alongside that one, as you wonder, is communion for me? Well, if you carry on reading Psalm 80, it says, how, what's a church meant to do when they're in a mess and they've drifted far away? Because Psalm 80 is full of hope. And here's what it says in those following verses. Let your hand, Lord, be on the man at your right hand, upon the Son of Man who you make strong for yourself. And then we will turn back to you Revive us as we call on your name. And Psalm says, if you're miles away, you don't have to be cut off because there's someone seated at the right hand of the Father and if you focus on him, you'll come back. That's always the message of the tree. Jesus, he loves you. He doesn't want you to drift away. And John chapter 15 says the same thing. It's a hopeful chapter. Here's verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want. You're mine forever. It's you and me. Take communion. Trust in the Lord. Ask Him in. And you'll be useful and fruitful and established forever. Verse 8 says this. This is all for my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Isn't it wonderful that we can be part of a story greater than our own? All glory to God the Father. Young people, some have gone out, some are still here, some are associated with our church through the week. How old are you? We've got seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, we've got teenagers, a couple in their 20s now, some in their 30s, 40s as well. The world shouldn't need to look at our church kids and say, I wonder what a nine-year-old Christian looks like. Because it should be them. Because they can bear fruit today as well. Jesus is for everyone. Your friends shouldn't and your neighbors shouldn't say, I wonder what a 46-year-old lady Christian looks like. Because it should be you. And you can be an example of fruitful, word-filled, spirit-filled, fruitful Christianity. And as we gain closer now to this table, there's one more thing I want to address. And it's, how come we're so miserable sometimes? However old we are. Well, Jesus handles that spicy curry as well. Here's verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Here's verse 11. I've told you this, so that you may have joy 
and that your joy, not misery, will be complete. Do what I say. Trust me this week and you'll have joy. Sometimes the saddest people in the world are the Christians who have seen the light but start putting one foot back into other vines to get their fruit. And now they're stuck between the two. And Jesus says, come back, trust me, and do what I say with your life, and you will find joy. So here's the big one then. At communion, Jesus dies and rises and promises to produce fruit, flourishing hu humans. Are you in the vine? For strength and guidance and purpose and joy, to what vine are we attached this morning in Park End Church? How many things do I attach myself to for my well-being? Some people think that their vine is their bank account, their education, their sex, their sex life, their popularity, their skills, their connections, their possessions, their social relationships. Jesus calls us this morning, let me be your vine. Test me. Try me in this area of fruitfulness and deep joy. Verse 7 says, let my words abide in you. Come to me and I will give you rest. Guidance, hope sanctify you in your word. Your word is truth. The Lord's word is truth. I'll end with this. My friend once put a daffodil in an ink pot. Do you know what color it went? Blue. Did you know that whatever you tend to hang around with and whatever words seem to most get in your minds shape your soul, shape your being. You put a daffodil in the environment of ink, it goes blue. So the young people, do you know what color you go if you spend all of your time on YouTube? You go the YouTube colors. And I like YouTube, there's good stuff on it. Book, book readers, you know what color you'll go? Whatever color your books are, by and large. Whatever you feed your mind on, that's where your soul will shape around. Jesus says, let my words, let me be your vine. Let me in. Join Park End Church. Talk to people about the Word. Tell people where you're at spiritually in a non-judgmental, open friendship of love and prayer. Because this matters. This is the last verse. Verse 13. For anyone who doesn't quite trust Jesus with their lives, he says this, greater has no Greater love has no one than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. Our Savior has laid down his life for his friends. Not only that, <clears throat> he's died for his enemies too. Verily, if anyone died for a righteous person, <clears throat> though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And wouldn't it be lovely if all of our testimony this morning is this. It's with his scarred hands that he holds me fast.
Oh, I'm going to run back to him today. And I'm going to feed on his body and blood because I trust him. He is the best human that's ever lived. All my eggs are going in his basket this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's gear up for communion. Maybe ask the children to come back in for it so they can share in it as well. And we'll sing the praises of the living God and then communion. Thank you.